Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. So last week we started on an understanding entitled Faith for the Labor. Faith for the Labor. If you're taking notes, you can write Faith for the Labor Part 2. Faith for the Labor. The weeks before that, I talked about grace for the labor, and I've been talking about work. I've been talking about laboring, and this goes out of Matthew 9, which is a scripture that God gave our church for this year. We, call, we are calling this year, prophetically, what God has given us, a year of harvest, and we see it in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, and we see that preaching, teaching, and healing, and compassion is the work that God has called us to. Preaching, teaching, healing, compassion, and then there's one more, praying. Praying. So we are going off these five things this year. And one of the things that God or Jesus said to pray is to pray to the Lord of the harvest, speaking of God, pray to him, the one that causes harvest, that he would send laborers. He said that the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. So the same words Jesus said then, guess what? It's true today. The laborers, or sorry, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And how many of you today will labor among us? Come on, how many of you today will say, I'm willing to labor? I want to labor for God. I want to work for him. I want to serve him. I want to go and do what he has purposed me to do. That is our heart. That is our desire. That is what we as Pursuit Church are pursuing after, the very heart of God. We're pursuing him. We're pursuing after him. We want to know him. We want to do everything that we possibly can to live our life out for his glory. Come on, he gets the glory in our life. He gets the glory in our family. He gets the glory in our relationships. He gets the glory in our marriage. Amen? He gets the glory in Mornington. He gets the glory in this state of Victoria. God does. It doesn't matter what's going on around the world. It doesn't matter what's going on in government. It doesn't matter what's going on. Because we serve a God who is greater. Come on. Who is greater. Who has a higher level of authority. Amen? And today, in obedience unto God, we honor him. We honor him with our lives. And so we work. We labor. And we talked about grace was something that he gave. And that was his part. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, But by grace, through faith, you have been saved. Not of yourself. Not of your own work. Not of your own righteousness. But it was by grace. Who produced grace? He does. But who has faith? We do. So we're talking about our part when it comes to the labor. We have to have faith in the grace that God provides. So our idea has been this. We believe and receive the things of God not in our mind, our natural intellect, the physical man, the natural man, but in our spirit, the spiritual man. That is who you really are. If you're a Christian today, Let me help you. You are first a spirit before you are a natural man. 
Your body I see today, the physical body, that's not who you are first. Now, we identify with our body first, usually, before we identify with our spirit. But as believers and Christians, we are first to identify with our spirit. And then we got something else within us, which is called our soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions, and the feelings. This is where purpose and will that we have that drives us to do things. But even that is not who you are. That is a part of you. But who you are is first your spirit. And you are living a life that is being transformed into the image of God by renewing that mind or that soul and subjecting your body to the spirit. So notice you're renewing your mind and you are subjecting your body to your spirit. There's two things that are happening in a life of believer. You are renewing your mind according to Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2. And you are subjecting your flesh to your spirit. In John chapter 6, there's a story about Jesus taking five loaves and two fish. And I want to read the story and get back into 1 Corinthians 2. And I'm going to end with the story of John 6 towards the end. And I'm just going to read for context John 6 verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he knew himself, for him, he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii, which is about $40, worth the bread would not be enough for each of them, and it's also about six months' wages, to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a young lad or a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? We'll stop here for a moment. So, you have a crowd that's following Jesus. They're hungry. They've been getting spiritual food. They've been getting fed through the teaching and through the preaching of Jesus, even seeing miracles happen, even seeing people get healed, seeing demons get cast out of them. Come on. And they're tired. They're hungry. They've been traveling. They've been following. And they need to eat. You can only go so long without eating food. And Jesus, in order to test his disciples to see where they stand and where they have been or where they are right now, because you've got to remember they have seen Jesus heal. They've seen Jesus do his miracles. They have also heard the preaching and the teaching and the things that he said. And now it's a moment of testing. And he says, Philip, what are we going to do with all these people? How are we going to feed them? Knowing how he would respond. And Philip answers in unbelief. Philip answers according to what they don't have. Philip answers in a way that says, I have no idea. 
What are we going to do? I mean, look at the crowd. We don't, we don't even make enough money to pay for them. There's no way we could take care of this. And then Andrew says, well, look, there is somebody, but all he has is five loaves and two fish. So what little is this going to do? This is the mentality of the disciples in this time. We got nothing, so we can't do anything. And the other disciple says, we got a little bit, but <laughs> what good is this going to do? And this is where sometimes we fall in. God calls you to do something for him. And you're saying, I don't got that in me. How am I going to do it? Like you're calling me to do something for you. You've purposed me to follow after your will. But God, I don't have those quality traits. I don't have that drive to do it. I don't have a background that backs me up to be able to do that. I don't got enough money. I don't got enough personality. I don't got enough. Or you could be like Andrew and say, well, this is what I do have, but what good is this? What, what good am I? God, you called us to build your kingdom. You called us to labor and to work, but I only have so much time at the moment. What good is this little bit of time? Some people can give their whole day to it. I can only give a couple of hours out of the week. What good is my time going to do? Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because thinking that way is thinking within the mind. Thinking that way is thinking according to the natural circumstance or the natural ability that you carry. But serving God has nothing to do with your natural ability. It has everything to do with what you can do through him. He's not asking you to do or to work for him according to what you can do, according to what you have. No. He's saying, do what I've called you to do according to what I have put in you and what I will give you through my grace. But you are going to have to have faith which is believing, trusting in, having confidence in, completely relying in, in order to do so. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 13. Quite a bit of scripture, but it's good. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or of wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Notice this is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. And he's teaching them about not having any confidence, faith in himself. Now, he could have. And there's even a moment when he says, man, I could put confidence in myself because I've achieved a lot. I mean, Paul was well-trained. He was intelligent. And he had every right to boast in who he was. But he doesn't. Because he says, what gain I have acquired is nothing of what I have acquired in Christ. So today, if you think you got any gain in life, you think you got any entitlement today? 
You got something that, you know, you could just be full of pride of today? Let me help you. Bring it before the Father. Become, be brought low before the Father in humility, and he will exalt you. Don't come all boasting about who you are and what you know. I've seen too many people like that, and they get brought low quick. Or people try to help them and warn them, and they just don't listen. And usually it ends up leading to destruction in their own life. And he says, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So look at here. He says... My speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. We're not in plausible words of wisdom, speaking of wisdom of man, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith. So they weren't in the words of man or in the wisdom of man. What I spoke to you was not because of man. It didn't come out of my man. It didn't come out of my intellect. It didn't come from my natural man. No, it came by the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. Your faith today today cannot rest in the wisdom of men. Meaning it does not rest in your natural man. Faith doesn't come from what you know intellectually. Faith comes from the word of God. Romans 10 even says that faith comes By hearing and hearing the word of God. Today, if you are lacking in faith, or if you have small faith, or if you don't have enough faith, let me help you. Even if you got faith the size of a mustard seed, like Jesus said, that's more faith that you need. That's more than enough faith that you need. You don't need some great faith today. You can have faith the size of a mustard seed. But he's saying... Don't put your faith in who you are naturally. Don't put your faith in the wisdom of men. No, faith came to you because of the spirit, the demonstration of the spirit and of power, in the power of God. Now let's continue to read because it's about to get really good. Verse 6 says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Verse 7 says, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Look, he's imparting, Paul, in verse 7, he's imparting a secret and a hidden wisdom of God. How is he doing so? By the revelation that only comes by the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of God. If you want to know God, if you want to understand God and be able to comprehend God, it is only going to come by his spirit. Your intellect, your mind will not be able to comprehend the things of God. We're about to get there in a second, and I'm going to prove it. So when it comes to faith, when it comes to believing in God, when Philip and Andrew, what they should have done, now look, they're still growing, and we do this too. There's things that we should have done, but let me help you. You're still growing, but let's just use this for a reference. What they should have done is they should have responded in faith, knowing who Jesus was, knowing what he was capable of doing, and saying, Lord, what do we need to do? You're Jesus. We'll do it. Whatever you want. Yeah, there's 5,000 people here, just in men, and there's men and chil- or there's women and children, but God, show us the way. Now, obviously, they haven't come to this understanding yet. They haven't come to this yet, because we know that Peter doesn't get to that understanding until Matthew 19, Right? 
So it took some time for them to get to this place. Because even in this chapter of John 6, Jesus is about to speak some things that are very contradicting, sorry, not contradicting, conflicting, that causes the people to want to murder him. And this is why they murder him. It's because he says, I'm the bread of life. I am God in flesh. This is why they put him on a cross. So they haven't got to that part yet. So they're still in these stages of maturing and growing. You're still in the stages of growing and maturing. So when it comes to faith, maybe you don't have faith to believe God for anything at the moment. Or maybe you only have faith to believe God for some things but not bigger things. It's okay. Wherever you are today, you can still have faith according to what level of knowledge you have received from God's word. You can still have faith according to the level of the knowledge of God's word you have received. So today, guess what? You need faith for salvation. How many believe you're saved today? Well, that means that you have come to the knowledge of God's word about salvation. You know that today you are no longer dead, but now you are alive in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. That scripture has become alive in you, and you know that you're no longer dead, but you're born again. You're going to heaven. You have eternity with the Father. So that is what we would call knowledge upon the word of God. Therefore, you have faith. You have faith. Now, Isaiah 53, 5 says, by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Matthew 9, verse 7, I believe, or Matthew 8, verse 7, somewhere around there. Even Jesus confirms it. That by, and he says what Isaiah said, by the stripes of Jesus, Matthew 8, 17, that you are healed. So his word says I'm healed. So what do I choose, his word or what I feel? Because it's not in the mind of a man that I have faith, it's in his word. It's by the demonstration of the spirit and the power that God has. So I'm not having faith according to what I feel. I'm having faith according to what his word says. Now today, maybe you don't have faith for that yet because you don't know his word yet on it. And that's okay. But let me help you. There's hope for you today. There are so many promises that God gives you through his word that all you have to do is search out and seek it out, and it will produce faith in you to believe, meaning you don't have to sit there sick in your body anymore. You don't have to sit there sick in your body anymore. You can receive the word of God that healing is for you and it's for you today, and in doing so, you can stand in faith knowing that God has healed you in your body. Come on. I even know right now that's causing you to, I don't know. I get it. And that's where the flesh plays, and that's where doubt and unbelief, and that's where your past experiences come into play as well. It's everything because Satan doesn't want you to receive the revelation of God's word of what God has given to you already. He wants you to think that it's not yours still, and he wants to lie and manipulate manipulate you, and he will do that through past understandings that you have. He will do that through wrong doctrine taught to you. He will do that through past experiences that you have seen family members go through. And he'll use it as a way to stop you from ever believing for anything. He'll do that even to stop a church from growing, from even a church from multiplying and increasing. If he can get you stuck in a box, if he can limit the things of God in your life, then he has you. He is a thief. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy everything. But God comes to give you life and to give you an abundant life. And I've never seen sickness come and give you life. No, it steals, kills, and destroys. 
So if you want to tell me that's from God, it's not. It's from the enemy. Hallelujah. Now, he says this, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what he's saying is, look, they didn't understand the things of God. They didn't understand who Jesus was. If they did, they wouldn't even have killed him. So they didn't understand it. So this wisdom, this revelation hasn't come yet until now. Paul is giving wisdom. He's giving a revelation that he didn't get through reading a book. No, reading books are good. Intellectual or having natural knowledge and getting smart and all those things are great and you need those things. But when it comes to the things of God, you're going to have to have intimacy with the Spirit of God through prayer. And that will make you smarter than any man alive. It will put you in places you were never able to go naturally. It will open doors that you were never able to go through naturally. Hallelujah. Oh, the moment you rely on God and the moment you rely in faith, oh, nothing can stop you. Because I'm standing on his word. I'm trusting in who he is, and therefore I know who I am because I am in him. And it says in verse 9, but as written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this is where I want to get to. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through where? Notice revelation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding does not come to your mind. Read it again. These things God has revealed to us through where? The Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts, speaking of you, except the spirit of that person? So how do I know your thoughts? I don't. Only your spirit knows your thoughts. Only you know who you are. Now, I can try to use some magic ability and try to... It doesn't work, though. Only you know really what you're thinking and what, who you are and what you're doing. And he says this, so also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Man, it's so good. No one can comprehend the thoughts of God except who? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Where does he dwell? In you. Now think of this. You can't comprehend the things of God by your natural mind. You can't comprehend healing according to your mind, feeling, or emotions. You can't comprehend prosperity according to your mind, feeling, or emotions. You can't comprehend any of the promises of God according to your mind, feeling, or emotions to the natural mind. You won't be able to. It's completely impossible. You won't be able to comprehend the things of God according to this bad boy. It just won't work. In verse 10, it says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So we know that revelation, just like Ephesians 1 says in verse 17, that God will give you a spirit. This is why we pray this, that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, meaning you will begin to understand the spiritual things of God, come on, by the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal the one that searches the depths of God, the one that searches the deep things of God, the Holy Spirit will reveal them to you. But that's not going to happen from you constantly thinking about the problem, constantly speaking about it and harboring over those things and constantly glorifying it, edifying it, and building it up. No, it's going to come when you come to the end of yourself and you get in a place of solitude with God and of worship with God and of intimacy with God and of fellowship with God where you will begin to understand who God is. Verse 12 says this, Now we have received not the spirit of this world. That word, received not, means to take on. It comes from the outside in. The spirit of this world is something that is no longer in you if you are in Christ. Hallelujah. But you can allow it in by yielding your life to it. You can receive of it from the outside in. So let me help you. The things of this world, the spirit of this world, and I don't have to go through all that. You already know what the spirit of this world is. It's not in you. But you can receive of it from the outside in. You can yield to it. You can allow those things to come into your life. Remember, you are a spirit man first. And it says this, but the spirit who is from God. Now, this understanding in the Greek means it comes from out of, in from, or in from, or unto. The spirit of God is in you. So the things of God don't come from the outside in. They come from out of you, inside of you, from in you. So the way to get the things of God and understand the things of God, I have to know the Holy Spirit and I have to become close in relationship with him. Now the things of this world, I have not received, but I can yield my life to them. But the things of God, the Spirit of God who dwells in me, look, he says, but the Spirit who is from where? Is from God. Where does he dwell? Well, he dwells in you. That you might understand the things freely given to you by God. How do I understand the things freely given to me by God? By the Spirit of God. Who dwells where? In me. Christian, you got to start seeing yourself not as a natural man anymore, a natural person, but as a spiritual person. And this is what will fuel your faith and trust and believing in God. If Philip and Andrew and the disciples and anyone else that was there would have saw what Jesus could do according not to their natural intellect but their spiritual man, then they would have been to believe for anything, anything. Because the Bible says that with God, all things are possible. How am I even to believe that when I still am trying to comprehend the things of God through my natural man? This is why atheism, agnosticism, all these things, they can't comprehend the things of God because they're trying to think of it with an intellectual thought. It doesn't work. If you continue to read, and it says this, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are what? 
spiritual. Now hold on. There's so much in here. In verse 13 it says, And we impart this word not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of Christ, or the Lord, so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, there's a whole bunch in here. Let me just break it down a little bit. In verse 13, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. So Paul's not teaching this by human wisdom but it's being, has been taught to him by the Spirit of God, meaning the Holy Spirit will teach you guys. He will train you. He will develop you. He will give you revelation. He will give you everything you need of in order to do what he's purposed you to do. And it will happen by his Spirit. You're saying, man, how, how am I going to do it? Trust God. Trust in the Spirit of God. How am I going to fulfill what God you called me to do? I can't do it. You're right. You can't do it. But in him you can. In him you can. You need to get to a place where you're no longer thinking like a natural man, but thinking like a spiritual man. And it says this. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So if you don't see yourself spiritual, well, you're not going to understand spiritual truths. This is why when you look at the word of God... Or you hear someone preach or something and it doesn't comprehend well with you? It's because you're seeing it through the natural lens of your life. You're not seeing it as a spiritual person. And this is where we, as ministers of the gospel, believe that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will penetrate the heart and the minds of every person that hears it. That it will be like a seed that we see in Mark chapter 4 that will be planted into good ground and produced. But... Not every single person has good ground. They got a heart, a, sto- a heart made of stone. They have stony ground. They have hearts where there's the cares of life, and they'll choke up the seed. You have the, the, uh, the birds of the air that will come and steal the seed. And so we as ministers, as preachers, every single one of us have to be aware that when we are preaching the word of God, when we are leading people to Jesus, there's opportunity, but there's also resistance against the seed. And this is what you see in atheism, this is what you see in agnosticism, and this is what you see in other type of ism out there. All right, just say it out. It's because, again, the next scripture says the natural person does not accept the things of the, of the Spirit of God, for it's foolishness to them. Have you ever talked to someone about God and they just say, nah? <laughs> it's foolish to them, though. It's foolish. They can't understand it. I've had people question me about why does it work that way? And they can't comprehend it because they're trying to comprehend it with their mind. And I can't help them understand because they're not spiritual. So let me help you and save you some time. You're not going to be able to debate and argue people into believing. You won't be able to. What you can do is love, though. And you can be an example of the light that, of 
the light of God that's in you and let it shine through you, and then that will cause men to repentance. The goodness of God that they see in your life will draw them to repentance. This is why I don't debate. This is why I don't argue. Now, people have questions. Of course, we can talk. We can always have a conversation. But see, we can't get caught up in those things that will ultimately lead to frustration, amen, especially when it's with family members. But what you can do is you can love them. You can pray for them. Intercede for them and believe. Man, I was praying last night and just walking around. And I revert back to my prayer life because it's just it's changed so much in the past year and a half. But I was interceding for somebody that I've been ministering to, that I've been just being an example. And I'm just praying over his soul and interceding, just going to that place of groaning for him, praying for him. You ever pray like that where you just get to that point where you just like, it's desperation. You just, God, I don't want them to know you. I don't want them to die and go to hell. I don't want them to serve you. I don't want them to have a premature death. You ever pray things like that? Where you just, you get a heart for them. We need to get back to a place of prayer like that. Where we are praying over the people in our lives. We're praying over the people in this region. I don't know about you, but there are people that are dying or are bound for death, and we have a job to do. We have to preach the gospel. We got to teach the gospel. We got to love them. We got to pray for them. We got to heal them through the power of Jesus. You got work to do, and it's going to take faith. It's going to take you believing in what God has given you through his grace. It's going to take you believing. Now, John chapter 6, back there. And one of his disciples said, there's a boy here, verse 9, who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there's much grass in this place. And this reminds me of this picture of Psalms 23. Jesus says, the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. He lies me down in green pastures. Come on. He's our good shepherd. He's lying him down. He's about to provide for him. How many of you know that the Lord is your shepherd today? And he will provide for you. He will provide everything that you have need of in the moment that you need it. There's some things that he won't give to you right now because you're not in need of it. Now, you may think you are, but you're not. Because there might be things within you that you're not able to receive it yet. You're maybe not able to utilize what he wants to give you. And that be, could be because of things you've been taught. It could be because of a hardened heart. It could, it could be because of offense. It could be because of sin. you saying, can sin stop me from receiving things from God? Yeah, for sure. Now look, sin's been taken care of by God through Jesus Christ, but you can still go back to a place of sin where you can't receive the things of God. And until you get your heart right before the Father, like 1 John 1, 9 says, well, you're just going to be walking in uh, unrepented sin. But the, really, the easiest thing that you need to do is repent, turn away from it, get your heart right, bam, it's done. It works that easily. And then don't even think about it anymore, because I know like a lot of us, even me sometimes, when I sin and I ask God for forgiveness and I repent, I still think about it. And I still think that God's keeping things away from me because I don't know why. I've already repented for it. He's already forgiven me of it. So today, if you've forgiven or you've asked God for repentance from things and you're still thinking that God's not working in your life because he hasn't forgiven you, you're wrong. He has forgiven you. He loves you. That's who he is. God isn't like us, where we remember what people do, things against us. He's not like that. 
He's not holding it against you anymore. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. And so if he doesn't hold things against us, let me help you. You shouldn't hold anything against other, other people either. Now, this isn't necessarily part of what I'm preaching on, but I feel in the spirit that there's something here. There's some of you are holding things against people that you need to let go. You think you have every right to hold on to it. No, you don't have every right to hold on to it. Because that's the very thing that's stopping you and hindering you from being able to advance in him. And if you keep going, what it will ultimately lead to you or lead you to is a place where you get a hardened of heart or a callous heart to the things of God. Man, this is for somebody. Whatever you're facing right now and whatever you've gone through does not give you the right to live and be offended. The enemy wants you to stay offended because he wants to keep you in a place of unforgiveness and unrepentance to where ultimately it turns you away from God. Today, I believe this is a wake-up call. This is an alarm for you. Turn your heart to him. Forgive. Forgive yourself. And in return, receive the love of God. And receive the grace of God that will be able to help you in your weakness. He can help you in your weakness. Now, John 6, it says this. Have them sit down. The men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. Now look at this. This is a miracle. Jesus took the loaves, he had given thanks, and he distributed them. <laughs> Notice this. In verse 9, it says that there was a boy that had five loaves and two fish. This is what they had. And Jesus took five loaves and two fish and multiplied it. Now, we don't know exactly what happened in the miracle, if just a whole bunch of fish and loaves, or it was in the distribution. I believe it was in the distribution. As they begin to distribute it, it's kind of like that woman that had that oil. It just never went empty. It was there every day. It didn't necessarily mean that oil just went all the way to the top. It's like, oh, it's there. There's a miracle. No, there was just enough oil for every single day. And that's what I believe. That as the disciples started to distribute, it's just, what's going on? Hey, it's here, whatever. It's here. See, there wasn't much to work with, but God doesn't need much. Amen? He doesn't need much. In fact, God doesn't need any of your help, really. What he does need, though, is he needs you to work. He needs you to take who he is and what he has given and distribute it. We're distributors. That's what a laborer is. You're distributing. Hi, I'm an ambassador of the Father. I'm a minister of reconciliation. This isn't about me. It's about my Father. 
I go to church not for myself, but it's about my father. I stay in unity not because of myself, but because of my father. I keep my heart right because of the father. I'm faithful to my marriage because of my father. I'm faithful to my kids because of my father. I'm faithful to my parents because of my father. See, this isn't natural. This isn't in the natural mind. You won't be able to do it in the natural mind because in the natural mind, yeah, you got every right to cuss at them. You got every right to yell at them. You got every right to hold a grudge. You got every right to say and do whatever you want to. Oh, yeah, you go do it. But it will not bring life that comes from God. Only through a spiritual person that receives the things of the Spirit. And in verse 11, it says this, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he gave given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. Look at this. He distributed them, he distributed them to the disciples. Jesus relied on the labor of the disciples in this great miracle. He could have created bread and fish in a pocket or a bag of every person. He could have just said, all right, give thanks, and then bread comes out of somebody's pocket, a fish. Like, what's this thing? He could have did it that way. But he used the work of his disciples. He deliberately chose a method that brought his disciples into work. And he is still doing that today. He deliberately and purposefully puts us in positions to work. Faith without works is dead. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you got no works, what good is faith? That's what James says. Faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. He's called us to work. He's given his grace to do so, but also it's going to take your faith and believing that you can. And it doesn't happen here. It's going to happen here. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.